0: Um, it is an amazing and a wonderful and a, and a great uh, uh, great story. I think if, uh, if someone made it and did it well, it would be a bestseller, uh, showing, again, that, that God knows what he's, what he's doing. Uh, as we begin, though, we need to begin with the context. If, if you're watching a movie, and you're going to see a movie, most of the, the the beginning part, the early part of a movie is setting up the context in which the movie happens. It helps you understand the story. It helps you understand the thought process. It helps you understand what's going on and why what happened was was important. In the book of Ruth, this is especially important, and it's especially important, by the way, for us as Bible readers, especially when things are happening in a context not our own. So we need to set the context or to set set the context uh, Set the ground rules for where Ruth is happening or where Ruth takes place. This is the, is the background and it helps us make sense of the book. So if this were a movie, the opening scenes would take place. Uh, they would take place amongst the Israelites, but it would be more about a time and that time would be the period of, of the judges. And what you need to understand to understand contextually Ruth is what the period of the of the judges was like. the 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 people of God have become increasingly evil. They are they are begging for for a king, uh, even though God has said to them that I am I am your king. They're not really listening to to uh they're they're definitely not listening to to Yahweh they have judges to rule over them but the period of, in the period of the judges things go terribly terribly awry the the um the the verse or or the the biblical statement on the period of judges was that everybody did what was right in his own eyes the best description or the the thing that really brings home what is happening in 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 the period of judges is a story from Judges chapter nineteen, which is actually one of the most horrific stories in all of Scripture, but it, it goes like this: There's a Levite, and a Levite means a person from the from the the priestly uh, from the priestly family. There's a Levite, a, a priest who has who has a wife. Uh, if you read it in Scripture, uh, your version might say concubine, which simply means kind of a a wife of a lesser stature. He has a wife of a lesser stature or a secondary wife. Somehow he gets into a fight with with this um, with this woman. We don't know what the fight is about. We don't know how it happens, but she leaves him, leaves his home, and goes back home to her father's home. So this Levite decides that he's going to go and get his wife back and he travels uh, to to where she Where her father lives, and finds her at her father's house. When he gets there, he speaks to her heart and tries to provide, uh, uh, to, to convince her and we don't know what what he says but I think that one can assume based on the later story is that that he he speaks to her probably manipulatively and he speaks to her words of love and speaks to her like I'm going to treat you well he is a he is a manipulative man who, who speaks to her, her words and she agrees to go back with him back to to their to their land and to their home where where they lived he, he does not leave right away because the father-in-law keeps saying, no, stay a few more days, have a drink with me, be merry, have a drink, be merry. And so there is this there's, there's case of extreme hospitality or kind of extreme partying, depending on which view you take. But the, the man stays day after day after day, He stays a few more days, and then finally he wants to leave in the morning but can't. Um, so he leaves late in the evening, and he, the, the Levite, his, his wife, and his servant uh, set out, and they're heading back home to to their land. They pass through through the land of, of of one of their enemies, and his um. His his servant says, "We should stay here for the night." And he says, "No, no, we could never ever stay in a place like this for the night. This is this is not our people. These are evil people. These are these are Canaanite people. We could never." never stay here, and said, let's go on. And so they continue a little further on, and they, they, they find the, the land of where people from their tribe, from the, uh, from the, uh, the tribe of, of Benjamin are staying in, in Gilbeth, and, and they, find, they find a place there, and they go into this town, but they find that there's no place, uh, there's nobody offering them a place to stay. So they go into the center of town, uh, or into the town square, and they are going to sleep in the town square for the night. As they kind of lay out their uh, their um uh their their tents, so to speak, or their sleeping bags. I'm sure they didn't have sleeping bags in the classical sense we did, but whatever they're sleeping they're sleeping uh, arranged inside. They lay out their stuff. They're going to lay down in the in the town square. Uh, a, a older man comes in to the town square from where he's been. Uh, He's been taking care of his animals. He comes in to the town square and he says, "No, don't stay here in the middle of the uh, of the town square. Come with me." And he's like, "Well, you know, it's okay. We can stay here." And like, "No, no." And so he offers them hospitality and brings them home and brings them into his house. No sooner have they got into into their house than the narrative tells us this: that the people the the people from the town now show up at the house and they yell into the house, "Send out your visitor." That we may have sex with him, and their intention is is that that the the man who is offered uh, who is offered shelter to the Levite that he would send the man out and they would they would rape and abuse him, and and the the so right off what you're seeing is is a time which seems to be incomprehensibly 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 uh, evil. Something that we would not perceive in, in our own time, in the most evil of times. We do not imagine that someone would come to our door and yell, send out your guest that we might have sex with him, that we might rape him. Uh, the, the, the scripture, most of, the, um, most of the, the translations say that we might know him, which is a Hebrew euphemism for that, that we might be sexually active with. They wanted to rape the, the house guest. We, we don't experience that, and yet immediately it gets more evil. Because this man who has taken them into his house and feels the responsibility to show hospitality, shows the, shows the, the desire to, to show hospitality to his male house guest, the Levite, seems to feel no such, uh, no such feelings of, of hospitality towards anybody else, and especially the women in his home. So he responds, no, don't do this evil thing. I will send out to you. I will send out to you my virgin daughter and his concubine or his wife. So his response is, No, don't rate the man who is visiting with me. Let us send out the, 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 the ones who would have, we would think, culturally need more protection or better protection. We'll send them out. They respond, No, we don't want them. Give us him. The response then is that the Levite, remember, the guy who's from the line of the priest, his response is to take his wife, the one he has traveled to get, and to push her out the door, slam the door, and go back inside and hide. So the story continues to get, to get more and more evil. The people outside the house are evil, and the people inside the house are also incomprehensibly, uh, incomprehensibly evil. I should find another word so I don't have to say that. All right. They're evil beyond compare. I can't even understand or think about the kind of evil that this is. Someone comes to the house, says, let us rape that man. The men who should have been protectors, the men who should have cared for, the men who should have taken care of, their response is, no, take the women. And they slam the, 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 the door, pushing the woman out. The people outside the door... The people outside the door, people from the tribe of, of Benjamin, people from from the uh, the house of Israel, people who should have been God's people, their response is to take the young woman. We will not go deep into how, how scripture defines it, but essentially they rape her all night long. The The people of the city use her and abuse her and rape her to the point that in the morning, it says, in the morning they finally let her go and she crawls back to the doorstep of the house that she has been slammed out of. She crawls back to to the doorstep and she falls there on the doorstep. The next morning, the men from inside the house, these great cowards, these great, uh, great men, quote unquote, these great men open the door and he sees there his concubine, his wife. He sees her there and he says to her, get up so that we can go home. She does not get up she's dead. His response, instead of any sort of sorrow, any sort of reaction that, that or, 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 or acknowledgement of his complicity in what has happened, his reaction is to pick up her body and to put it on a a donkey. And if the story ended there, you go, that is one of the most horrific, disgusting stories that I have ever heard. That is awful, but it doesn't end there. He brings her back home and he immediately gets gets a a knife and he cuts her body into 12 pieces and he mails or delivers the, the parts of her body, a part of her body to each of the tribes. When the tribes receive the body, when they hear what has happened at Gilbeth, they are shocked and sickened. They cannot believe the evil that that has happened. And they say nothing like this has ever happened in Gilbeth before. Now, the text doesn't tell us, and we don't know which which they are most shocked by. We don't know that whether they're shocked that she's been cut into pieces or whether, whether that amongst their own people that, uh, that the, the, the place had become so unsafe, so evil, so insane in its sinfulness that a woman could essentially be raped to her death. They think probably they're mostly just shocked that he's cut her up, that, oh, why he sent her to us. They don't seem to have any acknowledgement of the evil of their own time. Now, let me just contextually review that for you. The central actor in the story, the central man in the story is a Levite. He's one of the supposed priests of God. The other actors in the story, the other key actors in the story are supposedly the people of God. They come from the tribes of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, they, They come from God's, People, And yet this evil has happened amongst them. That's the background and the setting for the book of Ruth. You need to understand exactly how evil were the days in which Ruth happens to make sense of what happens in Ruth. It is a horrific story, and it's a horrific story Meant to say this that even the house of God, the people of God, have become so evil that essentially the, there is no difference between the people of God and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The retelling of that story and the way that story is told several times throughout intentionally tells the story so it sounds so it so it it, it, it mirrors how the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is told. It is a place where there is no safety. For a woman. It's a place where there's no protection for a woman. It is a place where there's no honor amongst men. The men are not honorable enough. Everyone is selfish. It's judges where the people did what was right in their own eyes. And the lesson we learn is that what is right in the eyes of man is evil in reality. That is the background. So if we're talking about this in terms of a, of, of a of a, of, a, of a movie or, or, a, or a play, the, the first scene establishes the setting, and the setting is horrific, right? We're going to go then to the, to the second scene, donning the, inter, the introducing of the characters in our, our story. And so Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says this, and, and this is where we talked about settings. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. We are going to be, that's Ruth one one. We are going to be introduced to Ruth in the days when the judges ruled. She is from that time in that place. She is a young woman. I'll read to you j- then just a bit more. There's a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the names of his, of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. They were... Ephrites from Bethlehem in Judah, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Melon and Chilon died, so that the women were, was left without her two sons and her Husband, this is the introduction then of our characters, and what do we know about about the characters? Is, uh, is is this? Is that? Is that there had been a famine in Bethlehem? They had gone to 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 Moab to to live out the the famine. While there, a woman named Naomi, her sons had married two women, uh, Orpha and Ruth, and during that time, her husband. And her sons died, which leaves you with Naomi, Orpha, and Ruth. We don't need to talk greatly about about Orpha. She doesn't play greatly into our story. But let's talk about Naomi and Ruth. So what do we know then is that you have two women during the period of the judges with no husband. Now, we've already talked about how during the period of the judges, even having a husband is no guarantee of safety. Even having a husband is no guarantee that things are going to be okay. Having a husband is no guarantee. But here they are in the period of the judges in that very time that scene we just sat, with no husband husband and no protection it comes about and we'll just tell this a lot of the story narratively this morning so it comes about that naomi decides that she needs to go home and be amongst her own people in bethlehem so she is about to set out her two daughter-in-laws come and say we'll go with you we'll go with you and she tries to talk them out of it no go home to your own people do your own thing the, the one Orpha listens but Ruth says no I am I am your daughter-in-law I will come to your land I your God will be my God I will go with you And so they set out Naomi and Ruth to go back to, to Bethlehem they go back to the place of, of Bethlehem but still they have a giant problem because they are they are hopeless in this this moment. Uh, verse 19, uh, I'll just read from there. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem and then they came to Bethlehem the whole town stirred because of them and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, don't call me Naomi call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt bitterly so, what's the, the story is that, that Ruth and Naomi are going back to Bethlehem. What is, what is Naomi's personal, personal feelings? How is Naomi feeling? She wants her name to be changed to Mara because the Lord has dealt bitterly with her, she's without hope. She feels hopeless in this time. She feels as though she has lost everything. And so there's the introduction to our characters. We have the setting, the period of the judges, the introduction to our characters, two women alone by themselves in the same period of of the judges without protection and without hope. One of them so without hope that she says, call me Mara, call me bitter. The other one, the young woman, our heroine, if you're you're following uh, the story, as you're watching a movie, you'd recognize this woman's going to... Our heroine, Ruth, says, no, I'll come with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. When you die, I will die. There I will be married. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's that's our our two women. That's our introduction of, of, of the characters. But we've introduced now the setting, the characters, Ruth and Naomi, and we've also now got an introduction to the problem. They are two women alone in a time and in a culture where it was not safe for them to be alone. There's all kinds of things attached to the law and attached to the behaviors of of this nation, of, of God's people, about how women should be treated and how they needed to be treated. And a lot of it goes into this reality that there needed to be protection for them in an evil time. They needed protection from the evil, but they don't see any of that hope. They feel hopeless, they essentially go home to be in poverty. So they go home. They're, they're kind of in poverty. This opens, opens scene three. If, if, if scene two closes on, on Naomi saying, call me, call me Mara for I'm better. That closes the scene. Then the morning after kind of wakes up on, on this reality and progression is that because they are two women alone, they are essentially in, in poverty and they have nothing. They don't have anything to eat. Now God in his goodness has provided for them. Sovereignly a system. For, for them to eat and that is this is that when the landowners cleared their land or when the landowners went out to pick uh, pick their land if they missed uh, anything from their from their picking if they, if they missed anything from from their harvesting if they missed anything on the edges they were to leave those things in in the field and the reason they left those things in the field was because those who did not have um, Amongst the people of God, those who were in a more poor state, those who had less, could come and they could take from from that. They could glean from that and they, they could eat. And so what we encounter next is the story of Ruth going on to be a gleaner in, in, in the field. And so we encounter Ruth finds the field and she happens to find the field of a man named Boaz. We're going to introduce here now another important uh, character. Um, and so... Uh, we won't read, but, but uh, I'll, I'll sort of tell the story like this. This is classic movie stuff happening here. What you have, right, is you have the poor girl, Ruth. You also have, introduced into any, any movie, in, uh, and I would say any good movie, but I, I want to say, and, but this, this sounds pejorative to the book. It's not. Uh, well, half of you will think this is pejorative. The other half won't. This, this is kind of like a chick flick. OK, you need to understand that in that there is a sense in which, which as you read Ruth, it reads like you're reading Nicholas Sparks, right? OK, um, it's, it's got a, a notebook or a walk to remember sort of quality to it. I think a, a happier ending uh, th- than those. But it has a chick flick sort of feel. So just to introduce the idea, what do you have in sort of the, the chick flick? What's one of the classic devices is you have a poor girl who does not feel like she has any chance... With, with anybody, right? and you have introduced into the story now, we're going to meet the rich guy. And the rich guy happens to be, we assume, and it seems to be, be implied, uh, he seems to be, be kinda hot. Uh, at the very least, he is desirable, okay? And so you have the poor girl, and you have kind of the, the hot or desirable rich guy who, who, is, who is older. And so that is introduced in the story. Ruth goes to glean. She happens to be gleaning in the field of Boaz. Boaz happens to be attractive. Boaz happens to be rich. And we're going to discover in this story that Boaz happens to be very, very kind. He is a man of God. And so they're going to go into the field and she's going to glean. She is going to notice him and he's going to notice her, but like in the in the um like in a Hollywood movie, this noticing is a coy sort of noticing. It's not like the upfront like uh, like he rolled in like Boaz didn't roll up in a in a leather jacket and like, hey babe, what's up with you? What's going on? Like like he didn't roll out his lines like, uh, are you an angel? Because I feel like you just fell from heaven. Or you know like uh, he didn't come over and go. So what's your favorite verse in, in the in the Torah, he he didn't he didn't bust out any of his lines. It's a coy sort of sort of thing, but she's picking in his field, and he starts instructing his workers to leave extra for her. Right? It's a classic move. I like it because I'm not I'm not like the direct dude. You know, I like the in, indirect the indirect nature of, of, of the move. He doesn't roll up on her, but he's like, make sure that she gets extra squash or uh, or extra <laughs> extra wheat. You know, give give her extra food out of the out of the garden. And so there's a coy sort of thing going on. She notices him. He notices her. Better than that, it, as the story would happen, she happens to be a kinsman. Now you need to understand that in in this culture, Naomi owns land through her husband but she really needs someone to redeem it for her. She doesn't have the same kind of property rights that a man would have in that that culture. It was a different culture for men and women. So she needs someone to redeem that culture and that redeem the property and she also needs she needs someone to to for for uh, for protection against the grand evils of that culture, as it would happen, Boaz happens to be a kinsman, which is just a way to say that he is a distant relative in a way that makes him it makes him legally able to be a redeemer of, of the of of the property. So um, we'll get into that in a minute. But what I'm saying is, it is fortuitous, at the least. Sovereign in reality that Ruth happens to be picking in a, in a field where there is an attractive man of God who happens to be related to her in a way that he can redeem the family property of, of Naomi and, and, and essentially give them hope in, in the world. So now we went from chapter 1, which was hopeless. You have, you have Naomi going, call me Mara, to chapter 2, which is the introduction of, of hope into into the story, the whole thing changes because there is a redeemer. God is so fit that when they come into Bethlehem, there is one who is who is um. Who is who is close enough there is one who is relative enough to redeem the property but in the redemption of the of the property well we'll get to that in a minute there's one who's close enough to redeem the property we'll say that so what do we have we have the story of 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 ruth with a story of, of boaz we have them making eyes at each other we have them doing subtle uh hebrew flirting right the exchange of of um the exchange of garden and field goods uh Always an effective way of flirting, of, of I assume, in their 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 generation. We have that going on, and all of that happens. We open on on, on scene three. We know from, from from the coy way in which Boaz has taken care of Ruth and Ruth has noticed, it's Ruth. Processes in her head and, and, and begins to think. Probably, does he like me? I think he likes me. Does he like me? Boaz in his head is thinking. I think that girl who comes to my field likes me. Does she like me? I think she likes me. In the in the very Hollywood, since you have you have these kind of opposites, this unexpected. You have the 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 older, richer, uh, key owner of of the field, the wealthy man, and you have this poor young widow right? But there seems to be this connection between the two. Introducing then the the, the kind of the the intervening scene, which is this, is that Naomi, the mother-in-law, Naomi the mother in law, we assume that Ruth has told her her some of the things that Boaz has has said to her. We assume that Boaz has 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 told her that, that he will protect her. Boaz has told her to rest under his his wings. We assume that Ruth might have gone back and told Naomi some things, these these kind of flirtatious things that have happened between Boaz and, and Ruth. And Naomi hearing this story does what a good mother-in-law might do well, a good mother in law of a widow, we'll call her a good mom, uh, does what a good mom might do. She starts to match make, right? So she says, This here's what you're going to do. I want you to, well, let, let's just read it beginning at verse. Uh, uh, chapter 3. I'll read you verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you? Is not Boaz a relative with, whom, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place that he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, Ruth said, All that you say, I will do. So she says, here's how we're gonna make this match. I want you to go um, to go uh, go get cleaned up. I want you to put on your 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 most beautiful garments, I want you to do your hair, I want you to to put on your, your makeup. I'm I'm embellishing and anglicizing there, but this is essentially what she's saying. she says, put on perfume, smell good, look beautiful, get yourself ready, right? This is, a, this is a classic movie moment too, right? She's preparing herself for that moment, right? Um, unfortunately, in most of, our, most of our American movies, when this, this happens, uh, we, take, we take someone that we for some reason view as ugly, and then we get her ready for the dance by taking off her glasses and she's beautiful. Um, I don't know if I got more attractive when I just took my glasses off. I don't even know if that's possible. I do know that I couldn't see, so I had to put them back on, All right? But we have this this moment. We have this moment too, and so she essentially tells her, "Get ready, go down." So Ruth says, "I'll do it." This is, by the way, one of the. She went from like subtle flirting to to like, like that's borderline. Is that crazy person flirting, right? Because there there's a line, and so. Uh, for the youngsters, the young people here, I would ra- recommend this way of flirting, okay? But this is the way in which she does it. She gets ready, she gets dressed up, she puts on her, her perfume. She 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 uh, uh, we assume looks good, smells good, all of these sorts of things. She makes herself uh, attractive, and she goes and she goes down to the threshing floor. Now Boaz, because he's working his working is threshing barley on the on the threshing. Floor. He's getting the barley ready, and he's going to sleep at his threshing floor. We, the reason he's going to sleep there is we've already established this is the period of the judges. If during the period of the judges they'll take a young woman and rape her to death, it is certainly the kind of uh, kind of era where they might steal his, his, uh, his work and steal his, his barley, his, the other things that came from, from his land. And so he is going to sleep near it. He's going to stay near it to protect it. So Ruth goes down. After he's had dinner, he's, he's hung out with his, with, with his, with his buddies, he's, he's merry, so to speak. He lays down for a good night's sleep, and in comes Ruth. And Ruth lays down on his, at, at his feet. Now, I wonder what happens in the intervening time. Like, is Ruth able to sleep what is Ruth thinking in this moment? Is she thinking, my mother-in-law is crazy? Naomi is crazy? What am I doing here? What kind of feelings does she have as she lays at, at the feet of, the, of this man? Because we know that it, that it takes some time. It's after midnight that he wakes up and realizes that she's there. And I don't know what the intervening feelings are there, but he says to her, to her Who, who's that? Who's laying at my feet? And he says, it is me, your servant, Ruth. And when he hears this, he recognizes it. And it comes back to this this moment where he's like, I think she does like me. And she's like, I think he does like me. So I'll read that to you as well. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just what her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down to lie at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Um, Guys, just as a side note, you're not going to get a wife in this way. Okay? So for some of y'all that want to get married, you're going to have to find a different method. Uh, And I would say, just culturally speaking, if you find a woman laying at your feet, this is not the book of Ruth. Don't marry that girl. Okay? (laughs) Okay? She finds a woman laying at his, his feet. He is so tough. I, I love Boaz. Like, you make me sleep outside, I'm going to be freaked out in the first place. I wake up and someone's laying on my feet, I'm going to scream. You're not going to know who the woman is in the story at that point if you, I find someone laying at my feet. But Boaz is, is a man's man. He's tough. Uh, and he says to the woman, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over me, for you are my redeemer. So, she now takes that which has been coy, and she's going to say it in, in, in a in, in a more um, a, a more uh, I want to use the word explicit, but not mean that in, in a sexual way. A, a more explicit, a more clear way. She says, "Spread your wings over me." Other other translations would say, "Spread the 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 hem of your garment over me," or "Spread your skirt over me," and. I think what we've actually gotten in the in the um, in the ESV is that they have translated her meaning but they they've they've left out some of her her flirtatiousness. My my thought process it could, because it appears elsewhere. She actually does say to him, spread your skirt or spread the hem of your garment over me. But it's a double entendre because the, 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 the word for skirt also means wing. Essentially, she's saying, I'm a cold young woman. Spread to me the, just the hem of your robe so that I might cover up and be warm. But it, 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 is, it is also means wing or wing of protection in the sense in which God might spread his wings over his people in which God might, might protect us. Any way you look at it, she She's essentially saying, I want to be yours. This is not a a proposal of marriage on her part, but what it is is her saying, if you should want to propose and marry me, I would be very open to that happening. Spread your wings over me. Your wing of protection. uh, Elsewhere in... um, Earlier in, in, in Scripture where we encountered this, this same phrase, it's in the idea of, 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 of God himself uh, uh, taking a, br- a bride and, and the wing being like the wing or the protective nature of, of the covenant. I think that there's a lot of meaning imbued when she says, spread your wing over me or spread your skirt over me. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. He says, listen, you're an attractive young woman. You could have, as an attractive young woman, traced other young men. But you, you have pursued me. And he's, he, he's pleased with her. These are, these are romantic words uh, that, that he's saying. He says, and now, my daughter, do not fear I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. In another translation, it says, for my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of worth. It's, it's, it's romance in the, in the middle of the threshing floor. It's the climactic, romantic moment of, of, the, of the movie. Ruth comes and she lays at his feet. Boaz wakes up and says, who is it? And says, it's me. And when he hears her voice and smells the, the, the intoxicating nature of her perfume and knows that she wants to be with him, he says, I will do it. I will be your man. I will be your husband. For you are a woman of worth. Then, as in every Hollywood movie, we introduce a moment where where, what happens in Hollywood movies is this, it seems like you have something that you see is about to happen. You have something that you see that you want to happen. It's the perfect conclusion of the movie. It's about to happen, and boom, they introduce a problem in, and then you get afraid again. Will it not happen? Oh, no. What is this? And so he says, I will take you, but then he's going to introduce a slight problem. He says this, there's another person, there's another man. There's another man who's who's a slightly closer relative than, than I am, and he has a right to, to, to purchase you. He has to uh, purchase your property. In, in this time, though, she is the young woman went along with the power property. If he redeems the property, he gets Ruth as his wife. Those two things go together. Um, he says, there's another... Redeemer, nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment that you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went out into the city, right? So, you have that moment, you have that worry. It's going to come back around, he goes, Boaz is going to say to the, to the closer relative, will you redeem her? And he's going to say, no, I've already, I, I've got a wife, got plenty of, of wives, I've got the whole wife thing down, don't need another. And it's a little expensive and it might mess with my own inheritance. He says no. And then we know that we get the, we get the climax, which is this, is that Ruth and Boaz are married. They become husband and wife. At that point, what happens is is that he redeems her her land, but he also becomes her husband, her protector. He becomes the one, the giver of her inheritance. So she is brought from her place of 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 poverty, from her place of, of disconnection, from her from her place of, of fear. She is brought into to a place of, of wonderful protection through the love of, of Boaz. Uh, in chapter four, then we encounter we encounter uh, that transaction and how it how it goes down. In chapter four, verse seven, it says this: Now this was common in former times in Israel concerning redeeming in exchange to confirm a transaction. The one drew off a sandal and gave it to another. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, "Buy it for yourself." He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are the witnesses this day that I bought the land of Naomi and all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilon and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Melon, I have bought her to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. The name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers and from the gate uh, of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So, he goes and, and redeems her. It continues in verse 13. They get they get married, so Boaz and Ruth, she became his wife. Okay. So, here's here's what I what I want you to catch. If we can, we can put this into a, to an advent. Uh, concept. Here's here's what I love about the story of scripture. Here's what I love about stories in general. I believe that, that good stories always tell the story. And that I believe that there, there is a story that, that that tells the story of all history. It is what we expect at Advent. It is what we wait for at Advent. It's what we prepare for and what we hope in at Advent. Right? It is the key story that motivates our faith. And when I say story I don't mean I don't mean something that is that is fictional. I mean a true the, the, The true story, but even so, in our best fictional stories, when we tell them, when we tell a good story, you'll recognize vestiges or you'll recognize whispers of the story. Of of, of, of of Advent in all of those things. You'll recognize the story of a coming Savior. You'll recognize the story of a Redeemer. You'll recognize these stories in, in good stories. The reason why is because I feel like the story is inside of every good story. Now, the story of Ruth, which I believe to be a historically true story, is also telling the story of Advent. It's telling a very Advent story, and it's wrapped inside. And so just on it, on its surface, What what you can see then is you can look at the character of God and go, what is the character of God? The character of God is that even in the period of the judges, the most hopeless time in the history of his people, God was going about the business of, of, of providing a redeemer for a young Moabite widow and about bringing hope to, to an older widow, Naomi. And God was in the business of bringing about a redeemer. Ruth is this amazing story. How in the worst time, in the most evil time, in the most disconnected from Yahweh time, in the history of, of the nation of Israel, God was in the business of caring directly for these two people. He was in the business of bringing a, a wife to, to Boaz. And Boaz was in the business of being a redeemer. And now then, Boaz as a redeemer becomes a type Of another Redeemer right so Boaz as Redeemer tells the story or makes the point that there is a greater Redeemer to come that's what I mean that inside the story there's there's more uh, of the story but it is amazing to me that 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 God in his sovereignty even in the middle of this this grand period of the uh, of the judges and all the things that were going on God was in the business of bringing hope to his people yes But in this case, to his persons, and in this case, I mean two to three, the persons directly affected by this. God was in the business of bringing hope, and he brought it to Ruth, and he brought it to Naomi by connecting them with with Boaz, the Redeemer. God is a Redeemer, and his redemption brings hope. And the story of Ruth is the story of how redemption brings hope. So it tells a story, and so there is that. But even within that, there's a greater story, because God was not... uh, God is not the kind of God to leave leave his 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 people in in, in a place where they lack hope and, and in a state of, of 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 um of however you would want to define what's going on in the period of judges. Like God was not unaware of what was going on in the period of the judges. God was not unaware that his own people, his own people chosen to reflect his own glory, had become as evil as the Canaanites. He was not unaware that his own people were certainly as evil as Sodom and Gomorrah. God was not unaware, and God was not in the business of, in the middle of the, God was, what I mean to say is God was not out there doing nothing. God was not out there ignoring the problem. God was not out there with his back turned when the period of the judges was going on. But within this story, we see the larger story that God was at work to remedy and to redeem and to be the redeemer even in the period of the judges. And so uh, at verse 13 we read, So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The Lord gave her conception. And so while we have talked about this in terms of a movie, I want you to understand that it is my belief that God's sovereign hand, that God's intentional actions, that God's will were fulfilled at every step of this way. Ruth does not happen at the field of Boaz by by happenstance, by circumstance, by luck, but rather it is God's sovereign hand that this w- would happen. Boaz is not a man of God who does the right thing just because Ruth got lucky. She didn't get lucky. She got blessed by the sovereign hand of a sovereign God. So continuing on, it says here that God gave conception. So she bears a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. Memorize that verse, people. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. That's the theme of the book of Ruth. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than, uh, to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So in a movie, right? The movie ends, we end with this this feel good moment. Ruth has a redeemer and Ruth has a baby. If you watch Marvel movies or movies like that, sometimes they have an after the credit scenes. What you're about to experience is the ultimate after the credit scene because within the story, the Ruth story is telling a story about something that's happening to her in the period of the judges, but it's also telling a larger story about how God is going to deal with the period of the judges and how does he do it? Here's the after the credit scene in the movie. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Uh, generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Solomon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, if you know your scripture well enough, you should, it's a drop the mic moment for God. He has just said something amazing. God said, and he brought about David. It's boom. That's a change everything moment, right? Because what God just did is he connected the dots from Ruth and Boaz in the period of Judges To David, the greatest king of Israel. A king which scripture would refer to as a king after God's own heart. So that in the period of Judges, God is about bringing hope to Ruth through Boaz and a Redeemer. But in the period of the Judges, God is about bringing hope to his people through Ruth and Boaz, through Obed, through Jesse, through David. Hope has come. The first and the last verse tell the story. In the period of the judges. And then Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The coming of a king. David was the king who came and and, and led Israel. He was God's righteous king. He was not perfect, but he was God's righteous king. He was was the king who would take them out of the period of the the judges. He was the king who for a, a time would be, in a sense, their redeemer. And now then, we don't want to go too deep into it lest we rush ahead on our advent. But it seems that there's two after the credit scenes to this story, right? Because the story within this story, the story is God brings hope to Ruth and Naomi in the period of Judges. The story within that is God is working to bring hope in the period of the Judges to all of the nation of Israel. But the bigger story is that there is coming one who is a descendant from the line of David who will bring hope not just to Israel, but to the world. God is at work. In that little story, that little four chapter story in the middle of Scripture and in the genealogy. We're into another genealogy next week. Some people don't like genealogies. I think they're really fun because that genealogy is showing the fingerprints of God and carrying out His hope in the world. There's a story within a story that leads to the story, which is from the line of David comes the eternal kinsman. So what do we, what do we do with it, right? What do you do with it? Is it, is it a feel good story? Well, if you're down, if you're down, yeah, it's a feel good story, right? God will not leave you without hope. He's not in the business of that. He, God will not leave you over to 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 somebody else's control. In other words, there there's there's no one who can do anything to you unless God says that he may no one's carrying out evil against you where God is unaware. No one's going after where God is, is shocked. No one's doing these sorts of things. And, and so, as we read in Scripture, what we encounter in Ruth is that even in the harshest and hardest of moments, even in the most terrible of times, even in the darkest of, of days, which we don't talk about a lot at, at Advent and at Christmas, but there are there are dark moments and there are dark days, but even in your darkest moment, and your darkest of days, God is not unaware. God is not on break. God is not is, is, is not out there proverbially uh, uh, having a a cup of coffee, but rather God is actively at work, or I should say, God has already actively worked to bring about your hope and your salvation, right? From the line of Boaz came Jesse, and that came King David. But from the line of King David, we track that directly to the birth of our King Jesus. And Jesus is the hope of the world. Both when he came, now and forever, he has established and set up for us a a world in which we can hope, even in the face of that which does not seem hopeful, even in the face of that which seems hurtful, even in the face of everything, when everything seems broken, everything seems like it's falling apart, everything seems awful. We can hope because our Savior has come. We are a people of hope. God is a a God of hope. He carries it out. And so as we go into this Advent season, as we come closer uh, in the weeks to talking directly about the birth of Jesus, I want you to hear this, that in your darkest of moments, God does not intend to leave you without hope. He is the hope bringer. He's the hope creator. He is the hope finisher. In other words, there is nothing that can keep you from the hope that is yours in God. You get him. So if your moments are dark and your times are down, I want you to know this. The God of Ruth is your God too. The God of Ruth was the God of David and the the God of David was Jesus Christ, the son, descended from David to finish hope. And so if you're in that, in that place where you're like, I, I'm broken, I'm down, I don't know, I want you to know that the moments and the minutes and the seconds of our lives may seem overwhelmed by evil and they might seem like, like, they, like they're, they're, they're filled with nothing but hurt but I want you to know that the character of God and the actions of Jesus Christ scream out that there is hope and you can hope in him. And that's the testimony of scripture and that's the testimony of Ruth and that's the testimony of Ruth leading to David and that's the testimony of David leading to Jesus Christ. We can hope. So if you're you're down or you're struggling or you have encountered something or you do because in this life you probably will, I want you to know that God is the God of hope. He is the true kinsman, redeemer. See, Boaz is intended to be a type of Christ, but we do not have to go to Boaz and lay at his feet for our salvation, for him to spread his wing over us. We get to go directly to the throne of God and the God of scripture because of the actions of Jesus Christ spreads his wing over us. It makes us his bride, his people, his possession his joy his glory we get to be his and so my desire in this season in this advent that you would is that you would be people of hope that you would hope greatly in Christ that you would hope greatly in God that you would see that even in the moments that seem darkest that in the period of the judges God was at work and if he was at work in the period of the judges he certainly is at work in whatever we call this period in the Americas he's certainly at work in whatever we call this period in the world he's certainly at work in whatever you call this period in your home he is the God of hope that's the story of Ruth that's the story of David that's the story of Jesus